From the things that aren't always as they first appear category comes the following story. A pirate walks into a bar, and the bartender says, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What happened to you? You look terrible. The pirate says, What do you mean? I'm fine. He says, Well, what about that wooden leg? You didn't have that before. Well, the pirate said, We were in a battle at sea, and a cannonball hit my leg, but the doc fixed me up, and I'm fine, really. Bartender said, oh yeah, well what about that hook? Last time I saw you, you had both hands. Pirate said, well we're in a battle. We boarded another enemy ship and I was in a sword fight. My hand was cut off, but the dock, he fixed me up and I'm just fine. He said, well, well wait a minute, what about that eye patch? The last time you are in there, you had both eyes. The pirate said, well one day we were at sea, some birds were flying over the ship. I looked up and one of them did a doo-doo in my eye. The bartender said, you, you, can't, you can't lose an eye from bird doo-doo, can you? He goes, well, no, it was my first day with the hook. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And again, we ask ourselves, what's the point? <laughs> the point is there are times in life when appearances can be deceptive. And the fact of the matter is... This The Bible has much to say about the serious problem of deception. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, where we see a passage of Scripture that reinforces a simple but profound command that's found throughout Scripture, and that is this, that we are not to be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And obviously, the reason that we're commanded not to be deceived is because deception is possible. And so we've got to be alert and aware of the fact that we could be easily and readily deceived. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in a pastoral epistle that's written or a letter to the church, uh, specifically to Timothy, who was the overseer of the church in Ephesus, he warned of false teachers and false doctrines that would come in, uh, in among their midst. In fact, it was Paul who had predicted or prophesied in Acts chapter 20 that one day there would be those who would rise up from even among the leadership and begin to take people and lead them astray. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he continues his instructions and he said, but the Spirit says explicitly that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and by prayer. You know, throughout the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, God frequently warns man of the danger of being deceived. The word deceived simply means to be misled, taken, a, taken in a direction that God would have us not go. In fact, God calls mankind to respond to his word, and Satan comes along and tries to lure them to follow lies. We see a clear example of the battle that's, that takes place or this conflict and the battle that took place in the conflict in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you'll turn there and look at it, it sets the foundation for everything that we'll be discussing as we continue to go through this passage in 1 Timothy. But in Genesis chapter 3, it's important that we go back to the beginnings. The book of Genesis means beginning and we find a lot, a lot of the answers that we're looking for in life back in the beginning here in Genesis and in chapter 3, we are introduced to the sin of man or the temptation that leads to the sin of man. 
And we read in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. It says, And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You, sh- you surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. And then that goes on to tell us of the judgment that came from God because of their sin. But what I want to bring out as we look at this is there's a pattern that develops here in Genesis chapter 3 that's found all throughout the Word of God. And the pattern is a very simple one, and that's this. God spoke to man. Man heard God speak. Satan called into question God's Word. Satan made the worse appear the better, which is deception. Man believed the lie, and it led to sin. And sin brought forth God's judgment or consequences and spiritual death. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, identifies the same pattern. And it's a very simple one. God speaks, man hears. The devil comes on the scene and calls him to question what God had just said to man, basically saying... Trust me, don't trust God. The deception is that the worse will appear the better. Mankind buys into the lie, chooses to rebel against God, and as a result there is consequence which, or judgment which always comes when we're in rebellion against God. The pattern is the same from the beginning as it is today. It has never changed. It will always be the same. If you recall from our study in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it told us that Eve was quite deceived. She was misled. The devil lied to her. Told her something that wasn't true. She bought into the lie. She didn't believe God. And as a result, sin came into the world when Adam chose to rebel against God. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew exactly what, he was, what, he, what it was that he was doing. He was in rebellion against God. And that's why the Bible tells us it was through Adam's sin of rebellion that Sin entered into the world, and all of us are under that condemnation because of that. Over and over again, we're told throughout the Bible, in fact, James 1.16 tells us, Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. God warns mankind not to be misled, not to be taken in a direction that leads us away from God. You know, the Bible tells us there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end is always destruction and ruin. Another example of this deception is found in 1 Kings chapter 11. It deals with the life of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 11, if you turn there, we'll see the deception that is found. Uh, Once again, the pattern is the same and the results are the same. In 1 Kings chapter 11, starting with verse 1, we read this of the downfall of Solomon. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said, notice again, God had clearly said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. 
but Solomon held fast to these loves. And he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away from God. Turned it away from God. That's a word or phrase that we'll see as we go through 1 Timothy that's important for our understanding of the whole idea of apostasy or, or deception or falling away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was no longer wholly devoted to the Lord as God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shamas, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem for Moloch and detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Man, it is very clear as you read through Scripture that, you know, God spoke. And not only did God speak to Solomon, but there's an emphasis for our understanding that God appeared to Solomon two times. He knew God in a very personal way. God had spoke to him, had warned him, had said to the sons of Israel, don't associate with these women because they will, I'm telling you right now, they will turn your hearts away from me. God spoke. Solomon clearly heard. The devil comes on the scene and says, you know what? That's crazy. You're Solomon. I mean, you're the great king Solomon. How can any woman turn your heart from God? Surely you're stronger than that. Surely you're a mightier man than that. Certainly a woman couldn't influence you to such a degree that you would turn your back on God. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And Solomon, like so many throughout human history, bought into the lie and trusted the devil and not God himself. And the Bible tells us what the unfortunate, tragic results of that was, and that was Solomon's heart was turned, as God said it would be, away from God. And he followed the, 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 the desires of his wives, and they turned his heart from God. And there was consequence because of that. Payday one day. The pattern is very clear. Over and over again, God warns mankind not to be deceived and the reason he warns us not to be deceived is because we can be deceived very clearly it is spoken all throughout scripture turn to first corinthians chapter six chapter six and verse nine we read these words that talk about don't be deceived don't be deceived in what area the bible tells us or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't anybody tell you differently. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. 
saying, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't let people tell you that you can live any life that you want to live and still be right with God. It breaks my heart. I have never heard yet a funeral service, a memorial service for anyone where that person was, was uh, where there was any indication whatsoever that that person was going nowhere but to heaven. I have never heard one yet. I've never heard a person stand up and say, that person rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. That person had no desire to repent from sin. That person had no desire to repent from sin and turn to God and trust in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, the power of his resurrection for his forgiveness of sin. That person, I can tell you with great assurance from the authority given to me by the word of God, that person, the moment that person died, that person is awaiting God's final judgment and will ultimately end up in the lake of fire or hell as we know it for all of eternity. I have never heard that yet. I know why it'd be a pretty discouraging funeral service. <laughs> but at the same time, the bottom line is this. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. If you're not washed or sanctified or justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your lifestyle or those things that you do, they're an abomination or a violation of the word of God. He says, don't be deceived. If you're living this kind of lifestyle, it's because you're lost, you're a sinner, you're dead in your sin, and you're on your way to hell. And the bottom line is that's exactly where you'll end up for all of eternity unless you repent and turn to God and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. That is God's only remedy for the consequence or judgment of sin. He says, don't be deceived. Don't let anyone mislead you or tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody tell you that if you live a good life, you're going to heaven. Because God is the only one who defines good. And God is good. God is perfect. And his standard is perfection. And none of us meet that standard. I was talking to a friend the other day. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, what makes for a, a good driver, what, I mean, what makes for a good driver? Talk about something that's so subjective and, and, and so relative. It's like, well, if you're driving 90 miles down the freeway and 90 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone and somebody shoots by you and cutting in and out of traffic at 130 miles an hour, you're sitting there driving 90 telling your wife, honey, see, I'm a good driver. Now that, if you've got a problem with it, have a problem with that guy. You know, but that's not the standard. This objective standard is, hey, wait, here's the, here, here it is. It's 65 miles an hour. If you go over it, you know what? You rightly, and me rightly so, could be pulled over and given a ticket and there's no recourse for it whatsoever. We deserve it because we violated that standard. All God's saying to all mankind is this. I set the standard. The standard is perfection. I'm telling you what you don't even understand about yourself. And that is, you know what? All have sinned. None are righteous. All fall short. All have turned from me. All are in rebellion. Every one of you are lost. Every one of you are condemned. Every one of you are on the way to hell. Outside of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of found in Christ, we are all doomed. Don't let anyone deceive you or mislead you otherwise. That's exactly what the message is throughout all of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.33. You know, how many of us have ever shared this with our children? Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived. If you're hanging around the wrong people, you'll become just like them and you'll do the same things that they do. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's what the Word of God has to say. And you know what? God speaks, man hears, the devil jumps in and says, no, you know what? You know them better than your parents do. 
You know your friends. You know they're good people. They're nice people. They're good. You know, and, and, and here we go again. And the pattern continues. And then you have a choice to make. Either you believe what God has to say, bad company will corrupt good morals, or you'll believe the devil and the lie that he comes up with and says, you know what, you can't believe them, don't trust them, don't trust God. Trust me, I have your, I have your back. You know, I have your best interest at heart. You know, the Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he will reap. Galatians 6, 7. So as we consider all of the foundation that we have throughout the Bible, it becomes very clear to me that God's command not to be deceived is very important for each one of us to understand because what he's saying clearly is this. If you don't understand you can be misled, you surely will be misled. If you don't understand you can be deceived, you will be deceived. And so what he's telling Timothy, as he, as he deals with him back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he's saying, listen, you know what? Don't let the devil mislead you. Don't let anybody mislead you. Don't let anyone mislead God's people because there is a deception that is a very real deception. And as we see this, there's, a, there's basically three things that we'll look at. First, what, what Paul does, he lays out what's called the development, what we'll call the development of this deception is predicted by the Holy Spirit. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, but the Spirit explicitly says, he, he's saying, hey, look, you know what? The Word of God, remember as you look at the word but or now in some translations, it'll say now the Spirit explicitly says or but the Spirit explicitly says in verse 1 of chapter 4. It draws a contrast from the passage or the truth that we just had learned last time we were together in chapter 3 and what now God will introduce to us in chapter 4. The hymn that was just sung or the music that was put to it. We had just learned very clearly in, in verse 16, the, the com, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. In the Bible where it's talked about a mystery, what mystery simply means is this. It is a truth that once was not known that is now revealed to us for our understanding. The mystery of godliness is this. That the one true living God came to this planet earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and full of truth. And, and, and in appearing in the likeness or taking the appearance of the likeness of men in Philippians chapter 2, we learn that Jesus Christ took on human flesh or the appearance of man. The eternal God took on the appearance of man. He was revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated in the spirit. He was declared innocent or righteous of the charges made against him that he made himself equal to God because he is God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father for I and the Father am one. He was vindicated in the spirit. He was beheld by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world and taken up in glory. The contrast that we're about to see is this. Don't let anyone mislead you and don't let anyone deceive you as to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the contrast. That's where deceivers come in. That's where we will be misled if we're not alert and awake. He's telling all mankind, don't let anyone mislead you or deceive you as to who Jesus is. Don't let anyone mislead you or deceive you as to what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. 
Don't let anyone mislead you or deceive you that there are other ways to get to heaven, other ways to find favor with God, other ways to find forgiveness, because there's only one way. I am the way, Jesus declared with great emphasis. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. It is the narrow gate. And many are on the gate or, or the road that leads to destruction, but few find the narrow gate. So it's very clear as we look at this that he was made flesh, that he took on, that, that he was revealed, and that he was vindicated and, and beheld and proclaimed and believed on and taken up. You know, it indicates that this truth will directly be assaulted by the enemy who will attempt to deceive and mislead people as to that particular truth that we learn in Scripture. You know, it's interesting, I always like this where it says, you know, it's clearly taught. You know, it's clearly taught. Sometimes, you know, I, you know as you read through the Bible, you go, man, you know, that's not an easy passage to understand. That's not an easy passage to digest. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, there are some passages when I read it and go, wow, this is going to be a lot of work, you know. But I love it. There's nothing better than, un, un, you know, un, un, discovering and, and, and uh, having God reveal to you truth. And you read it and you go, wow, you know, a quick glance of this and, man... But then you start to read and you start to study and you start to check scripture. And, and it's like, and then all of this mystery is revealed as we search the word of God, as we're diligent in our study of God's word. And he begins to reveal to us the spirit of God living within us, teaches us and guides us unto all truth. It's just a beautiful relationship with God and his people that, you know, Jesus said, hey, I, I tell you all these things because I call you a friend. You know, and a friend doesn't hold anything back from his friend. I disclose all of this to you. You know, we've got God's mind, his plan, his program, everything that we need to know is all in the word of God. And it's at our fingertips, readily to, it's, it's, it's readily disposable to each one of us. I mean, we have access to it. What a privilege it is. What a blessing it is. What a benefit it is to have the word of God. And what, and what a tragedy it is that so many take it for granted each and every day. It sits there for weeks or months at a time, maybe week to week. The only time you open it up is when you come to church and you open it for this hour and you don't look at it again. It's such a tragedy that we have access to God and he wants to talk to us and have fellowship with us and, and, and commune with us. And, and we just ignore that. You know, what a tremendous blessing it is. We hear from missionaries who go all around the world and they make great efforts and we, we spend millions and millions of dollars and rightfully so, so as God's stewards of his resources to get the word of God in a language that people can read and understand and God can reveal truth to them. And here we are in our country. We've got it sitting there and many of us never even read it. You know, and, and yet the Bible says, but the Spirit explicitly says, you know, the clarity of all this, it's clearly taught. God's Word tells us that deception will occur and that some will fall away from the faith, meaning the Christian faith, the doctrine or the body of Christian beliefs. The word from which we get fall away means to depart from or to remove oneself from the position originally occupied to another place. To remove oneself. From a position originally occupied to another place. It is a very strong term of rebuke and condemnation. It refers to a purposeful, deliberate departure from a former position. Let me show you an example of the same word that's found. Jesus used it in one of the Gospels. In Luke, well, and actually a couple of them that, that tell the same story. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, we find this word, fall away. And it's an important word to understand because there's much confusion as to what it means to fall away from the truth. In Luke 8.13, the parable of the sower and the seed. 
Now the parable is this in verse 11. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes, there we go again, and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. There's the word apostasy. Fall away. Now, as we read this and understand, it's very clear that there are those who will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. There will be those who hear the word of God. There will be those who come to a church setting like this and clearly hear the the word of God, clearly hear the gospel, that man is sinful, man is rebellion against God, and you know what, and unless there's a a divine intervention that takes place, mankind is hopelessly lost. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The only hope for mankind is to repent from sin, turn to God, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The command all through Scripture is the same. Repent and believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There will be those who hear that message. There will be those who hear it and initially their reaction is, wow, that's good stuff. And yet they have no depth or root. And so the Bible says they will fall away from that truth. Jesus warned of the same thing. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. He warned of the same problem. And talking about the fact that in Matthew 24 and verse 4, we read these words. He says, Jesus said to them, speaking to the disciples, see to it that no one, what? Misleads you. See to it that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But this is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. It says, and at that time many will fall away, there's our word again, and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Paul also warned the Thessalonians that there was a great deception and apostasy that would precede the, the day of the Lord. And so Jesus was very clear. And the, and the point that's made in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the latter times or in later times, the reality of that is simply this. From the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the time of his first coming, it ushered in these latter times. We are in the midst of those latter times. And I guess the best way to put it is this. You know, we're further along in those latter times than when Jesus talked to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. But the reality of it is that that started then. Many will come in my name at that particular point. John said, you know what, the hour is coming and is now here. The writer of the Hebrews said the same thing, that we will be misled or don't be misled. And here Timothy is being warned by Paul that, you know what, there are some among you who are already starting to mislead people from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul warned the Galatians. He said, I, I'm amazed that you people would, 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 would begin to follow another gospel which isn't a go- the gospel at all. 
And so we're, we always got to be alert to it. And more so as the days draw near when the Lord will return, it says that it'll increase and people's love will grow cold. So here it is, this 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is saying, hey, listen, the Spirit explicitly says, it's very clearly taught, don't misunderstand this. You know what? We can be deceived if we are not alert to such deception. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give us um, an understanding. The second second observation involves what's called uh, the departure from the faith will be caused, we learn, back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, by demonic activity. By demonic activity, notice this in verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, what, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. How will this falling away take place? How will people be misled and begin to follow teaching that's false according to the Word of God? It's always been mentioned, you know, as as it's already been mentioned, there's the reality of demonic beings. I remember when I was a kid and I used to watch the Flip Wilson show. Flip Wilson's character, yeah, some of you remember. Remember Geraldine? Geraldine, the devil made me do it, honey. You know, it was like the devil made him do it. I mean, that was, that was the character Geraldine, and he would say, you know, you know, she would say, the devil made me do it. You know, the world laughed at that and found it funny, and yet at the same time, God's word teaches that's not funny at all. You know, the devil doesn't make us, nor can he make us do anything, but he can influence us and deceive us to make wrong choices. We are accountable to God for the choices that we make. The devil influences us this doctrine of demons and deceitful spirits, not to pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And from this we learn three things. Number one, what the motives are. It's important for all to recognize that mankind has a very real enemy. The Bible identifies him as Satan. And in the Bible, God identifies him as a murderer, a liar, the destroyer, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the god of this age, the accuser of the brethren. He is represented as a serpent, as a dragon, as a lion, and as the angel of light. He is a real personality. He is a formidable foe. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told how serious a problem this is. And we read these words and found in in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're told to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes means strategy. The schemes or strategy of the devil. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm, to stand firm in your faith. You know the quickest way 
to lose a war? What's the quickest way to lose a war? Not know you're in one. That's the quickest way to lose a war. How many of you were as shocked and surprised as I was on September 11th? How many of you saw it coming? How many of you knew what was going on? I mean, we were all shocked. We were all surprised. Many of us, if not most of us, were shocked and surprised because we didn't know we were in that war. We didn't know there were a group of people in the world who hate this country and her people so much that they would do what they did. We didn't know that. And the quickest way to lose a war is to not know you're in one. The quickest way to lose a spiritual war is to not know that you're in spiritual warfare. You and I cannot plead the same ignorance as we could when, it took, when, when September 11 took place when it comes to our spiritual lives because God has, has adequately warned us that we are in a spiritual battle. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't put your guard down. Stay alert. Stay awake. Stand firm. Be steadfast. Be immovable. And many of us sleepwalk through our faith. We don't even know we're in a war. We don't even know we're in a battle. And it breaks my heart every time I hear someone say, I don't know how this happened to me. Well, the, the pattern was clear. It's clear all through Scripture. It started here, and it led to this, and it led to that, that led to this, that led to that, that led to here. I don't know how it happened to me. Easy, you saw with your eyes, you coveted with your heart, you wanted to take possession, whatever that was, and then you acted upon it. And the worse appeared, the better you bought into the lie, and now here you are today experiencing the consequences of it. The pattern is the same all throughout human history. And at the end of the day, it still goes, it comes down to the final, you know, the, the final scene or, or whatever. You look at someone's face and they got that duh, dumb look on their face. Duh. I don't know how this happened to me. Well, it started with the fact that, you know what? You, you weren't in the Word of God. It started in the fact that, you know, you thought an hour of Bible study a week was going to get you through the week. Starting the fact that, you know what, you didn't really trust or believe what God had to say, that we are in a spiritual battle. The motives of the enemy is very simple. He hates you. He hates me. He hates God's people. He hates God and is in rebellion against God. He hates mankind and he wants to see all mankind go to hell. That's the motive of our enemy. The motive is to deceive us. To lead us away from God and His truth to destruction. You cannot believe Him. He hates you. And He wants to see you destroyed. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist Him in the day of evil. To stand firm, to be steadfast, he wants to destroy you. And notice it's so that we can understand or stand firm against the schemes or the strategy of the devil. Many of you who have been here long enough know that there's no way I can get through a Bible study without a sports illustration. <laughs> and here it is. 
Since it's baseball season, we'll just stay there. But scheme or strategy is a word that we would say uh, has to do with tendency. Knowing what your opponent is going to do. Baseball players, not to the degree of football or maybe other sports, but a lot of times they'll look at video, they have scouting reports, they have a great scouting network, they have you know, notes on every pitcher, every hitter, every player, everything you can imagine. They have notes on the, the opposing team's manager and the coaches and their strategy or their schemes or whatever it is. They'll know that you know, so-and-so takes you know, the first pitch, they'll just throw one right down the middle, he's not going to swing at it. You know, they'll know what somebody's going to throw on a one-two pitch, what to be looking for. They'll know what the strategy or the scheme is. They'll know whether somebody will do a hit and run. They'll know whether somebody should be positioned in a certain way. If you ever watch a game and you notice for some players they got everybody on one side of the field and there's nobody on the other side of the field, and you go, that's stupid. Why didn't he just hit it over there? Because he can't. <laughs> so it's like, oh, if he could, they wouldn't be all over here, you know? And the whole purpose of strategy or schemes is to understand your opponent for the purpose of being able to counter that opponent, take action against him, so that you will have victory. Understand what God is saying. He wants you to understand the scheme or the strategy of the enemy, the devil, so that we can take action steps that will counter his moves so that you and I will have spiritual victory. Isn't that great? Sports illustrations. Oh, man, that's good stuff. All right. But, how, but, but see, how is this departure going to take place? We know the motives of the enemy is to deceive or to mislead. The method of the enemy is laid out back again in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And that's this. The method is what? The hypocrisy of liars. The hypocrisy of liars. Literally, the word means lie speakers. People who will lie through their teeth and tell you what is not true... To lead you astray. The method that the enemy uses is to use men who will lie about the truth of God's word. What will they lie about? What I've already mentioned. They'll lie about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They'll lie about how to get to heaven. And in fact, many will even use Jesus' name to throw people off. They'll identify with Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They identify with Jesus to suck people in, but the Jesus of that church or that group or that cult is not the Jesus of the Bible. Period. And so they'll mislead, they'll deceive, and they'll do it through the hypocrisy of liars. People who even in their hearts know the truth and they don't care what the truth is because they have their own agenda and they're misleading people for their own benefit. The method is to use liars. The means is to use those who are, look what it says, those who are branded seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Have you ever wondered how people can believe some of the stupid stuff they believe? I was running yesterday and I saw two guys, you know, white shirts and the ties, parking the bikes, knocking on doors, sharing with people in the neighborhood. And I'm thinking, how can they believe that? How do you believe that? Well, the Bible says how they believe it is that when, you're, when you know the truth and you reject the truth, and you continue to buy into the lie that at some point even the conscience that God has given man doesn't work as it's supposed to work because it's branded or seared. The word branded or seared means to cauterize. It's when you go and you have some kind of a wound and the doctor will burn it to cauterize it so that the nerve endings are now deadened so you feel no pain in that area. 
our consciences can be seared or cauterized or branded and the conscience that God's given us that you go, you know what, that doesn't sound right, that's stupid, there's something wrong with that. If you deny that and you ignore that and you buy into the lie, there's a point where you start to believe your own lie. You sit there and go, how can they believe that? Here's how they can believe it. Because their conscience is seared. They, can't, they, they don't know the truth anymore. They don't even understand the arguments anymore. You can sit down and reason with them and show them from Scripture, and they don't even see that. And they continue to promote the lie because of the deceitful demons and doctrines of the enemy. And they teach that. And, and they, don't, they don't have any sense of remorse or guilt about it because now they believe it. They believe it. But sincerity is not the proof test of authenticity or truth. We've all believed things sincerely, and we've been sincerely wrong. As the evidence has come forth, how many of you have believed things, you were so sure, you were so sincere, you believed it, and the evidence came forward, and you went, oh, my bad. I was wrong. We've all believed things. We've all been sincere, only to be discovered that what we believed was wrong. You say, well, how can they do that? And, and, and it always kills me. It's like, and people say, but there's so, in, there's so many intelligent deceivers out there. They're judges and they're lawyers and they're chemists and they're doctors and they're this and that. They're brilliant people. But Romans 1 tells us, you know, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. Man's brilliance didn't lead him any closer to God. In fact, man's brilliance often leads us further from God. Jesus said, come unto me as a child in simple faith. And you know what? And your conscience will interact with the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And yet these brilliant people cannot deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These brilliant people can't explain the, all the predicted prophecy that's been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and, on, and at his resurrection. All these brilliant people have no answers for any of that. Why? Because they're branded or they're seared in their conscience. And it doesn't even bother them anymore to teach that kind of a lie because they don't even recognize that it's a lie. And that's why we've got to be careful as God's people to examine what is said against the Word of God. We don't examine it based on if a person's a nice person, a good person, does good things in a community, is an intelligent person, has a lot of degrees. Whatever the criteria is, none of it matters. We're to examine what is said by the Word of God. That's the standard. The serpent was beautiful in the garden. It was after the fall that God condemned him. The serpent was the most beautiful creature God created. And so you look and you go, wow, but he's a beautiful creature. Certainly not a beautiful creature can mislead. A beautiful creature can't, you know, deny God's truth. And yet beautiful people all day long do it at the expense of those who listen and believe what they say. What are those doctrines that are taught? Well, what Paul, Paul does for Timothy is he identifies you know, two specific doctrines of deception back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll put it all together looking at just two examples that he gives. Two very simple examples of the doctrines of demons. And, and don't forget, it's a very organized system. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and you look at the organization of Satan and his demons, it's a very organized system with organized belief system as well. It's important to understand that anything, and this is what I want to get across before we look at these two things. Anything that's contrary to Scripture can be the entry point to demonic teaching. 
See, many mistakenly believe that, you know, it's only in the biggie doctrines that we must be alert. The deity of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation by grace and grace alone through faith. You know, but Satan is so subtle and he seeks to gain a foothold on territory more easily yielded. It's like you give up, well, that's not that big an area. So we give it up. And he begins to take possession of our territory until finally he gets in and he establishes what the Bible calls a foothold. It's in those subtle areas that we must be alert. And he's going to give two subtle areas right now. Number one, he says, the first one has to do with marital relationships. Men, here, the test. Men who forbid marriage. And the second thing is, who also advocate abstaining from foods. So Paul identifies very quickly in Ephesus false teaching in two areas. One, those who would obviously deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who would deny that salvation is by God's grace alone through faith, those who would deny that Jesus Christ is the one eternal God come in human flesh, those who would deny those things, that's evident and that's obvious. But here's the subtle ground by which the devil gets a foothold. Number one, he says it's marital relationships and also dietary restrictions. In both of these areas, Satan uses people's leanings towards hypocrisy to deceive them into thinking that God can be rightly worshipped through carefully observed external, external ceremonies. Even before we're taught, we believe that if we do external things, that somehow God is pleased by that. The external acts of worship. And let me... Let me, let me say this very clearly. The world is happy to exclude the things that God has allowed so that it can break God's laws with impunity. The world is happy to, exclu- to exclude the things that God has allowed so that we can break the laws of God with impunity. And let me explain carefully what I mean by that. In the area of marital relationships... The deceitful doctrine of the enemy advocated that it was more spiritual to not be married and to remain single. Okay? Here's a problem. That's in direct conflict with the Word of God. God's Word clearly says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmate suitable to him. And it was for this cause, speaking of marriage, that a man would leave his father and his mother, cling to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. God instituted marriage and family. It is a God-ordained institution. Marriage is good. Family is good. Men came along and said, marriage is bad, family is bad. And you'll be more spiritual if you remain single, and that is a lie. Jesus affirmed marriage. In Matthew chapter 19, he he did say not everyone will marry, but you know what? That marriage is good. It was at the wedding of Cana that Jesus performed his first earthly miracle. He affirmed that marriage was good. And now these guys are coming along saying, no, marriage is bad. You're more spiritual if you abstain or, or, or don't become married. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says the same thing. Now because of immoralities in the world, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. And it goes on to talk about the beauty of the marital relationship. And so marriage is a good thing. They came along and said marriage is bad, and if you don't, if, if you, you don't get married, you're more spiritual to God. 
and the world says, good, you know what? We want to come up with our own system. We will exclude the things that God says are good so we can do the things God says not to do and somehow we'll balance it out. Nonsense. I can't help but wonder, as I've read this and I've studied this, I can't help but wonder the impact that such prohibition of marriage has had on the Catholic Church. I can't help but wonder as I read a passage like this where men came along and said, you know what, it's not good to be married if you abstain from marriage that somehow you'll be more spiritual than those who are married. And, and you've got to look and ask the question, wait a minute, that is a doctrine of demons. That is a deceptive doctrine that comes from the pit of hell. It doesn't come from the Word of God. The dietary restrictions is the same thing. Another deception was that of dietary restrictions. What was the lie? You'll be more spiritual if certain foods were not eaten. Such teaching is both a lie and dangerous. I can think back on my youth as a child and was told you can't eat meat on Fridays and was told, you know what, you have to give up certain things to, to be more pleasing to God during Lent. You know, and then I read about things like Mardi Gras and you look at what goes on there and here are people who live like hell, break every law of God that's imaginable and then they say, well, for the next 40 days to make up for this, I'm going to give up candy. <laughs> what? What? How does that work? How does that work? You know, I always gave up stuff I didn't like. You know, I'm, broccoli's out. And especially Brussels sprouts. You know, and, and it's like, and see, what, and what's happening here is, you know what? The Word of God clearly teaches that, you know what? Food is not a bad thing. It is a blessing from God. Let me go back to that. Man wants to exclude the things God has allowed so that God's clearly revealed laws could be broken with no consequence. We don't want to do what God says. So we come up with our own program. I'll give up this for that, and then I can break those laws of yours that are clearly revealed, and somehow or another it all balances out God, and you've got to accept it the way it is. How foolish is that? It is a doctrine of demons. It's from the pit of hell. Let me make this clear as we put this all together. All things are permissible according to God's word. In 1 Timothy, look at what he says. God has created foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You know what he's saying is this. Those who believe and know the truth are not impressed or hung up with a man-made list of do's and don'ts of legalism. Those who know God's truth don't get hung up on by people who try to add to what God has to say because it's their own personal preference. Those who know the truth of God's word don't get hung up on a to-do and don't-do list of legalism. We have freedom in Christ. God created food to be enjoyed. God created marriage to be enjoyed by those who are designed by God to be married. God created to be enjoyed by all of us so that we can, in everything, have an attitude of gratitude. Thank God I don't have to give up stuff to try to earn my way to heaven. That's what he's saying. Thank God that my entrance into heaven isn't based on whether I gave up enough stuff during my life or abstained from certain things or rejected certain behavior. Thank God that my entrance into heaven is based on the blood of Jesus Christ shed on my behalf on the cross. The righteousness of Christ imputed to you and I who trust in him, repent of sin, and respond with faith by faith to the finished work of Christ. Thank God that it's not based on our efforts. By grace, we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. 
It's a gift from God so that none of us can boast. The point is simple. Believers are complete in Christ and don't need to practice physical self-denial to gain salvation from sin and righteousness before God. Mandatory celibacy and abstinence of foods in general are particular as the teaching of the devil. Don't be deceived. Such teaching denies the goodness of God's creation and robs him of the glory and praise he is due for that goodness. It, is also, it also denies God's truth as revealed in his word. The message from this message is very simple. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. How can believers avoid such teaching? How can believers avoid being deceived? And the answer is very simple. By taking heed to the Word of God. By taking heed to the Word of God. If you want to know the truth, God's Word is truth. And the truth will set you free from the bondage that is created by people who come in and confuse the purity and the message of God's Word. Don't be deceived. Don't let him do it. Put on the full armor of God. Be strong in his might. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Praise God for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word that gives clarity in very uh, unclear waters at times. We're so confused because we look at people and we see their sincerity, we see their good deeds, we see their acts of righteousness that's done in their own strength and power. And somehow or another, we mistakenly believe that because they seem that way, that what they say is true. And yet at the same time, we're told in even your word where you turned around and told Peter to get behind you, Satan. Because there was a time where Peter was influenced by the devil and used by him as a human agency to promote that which was a lie from the pit of hell. Peter said, Lord, that won't happen to you. You won't go into Jerusalem. You won't be arrested. You won't suffer. You won't die. And yet that is exactly the plan of God for man. From the foundation of the world, God knew. You knew that we would rebel against you. And from the foundation of the world, your plan of salvation was always there. That you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ into the world. You gave him to us. You offered him up as a sacrifice pleasing in your sight so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, help us not to confuse the simplicity and the beauty of the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, give us wisdom as we seek your scripture and your word to reveal your truth. May we trust you explicitly, implicitly, and not believe the lie of the devil and the strategy and the doctrine of demons that try to call into question your reliability. Your word is truth. We thank you. Because in you there's no darkness at all. It's, it's absolutely impossible for you to mislead mankind. We trust you. We love you. We believe in you. And we believe that your word is the living active, sharper than any two-edged sword, living word of God. That it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped to do the works that you have called and prepared for us to do before the foundation of the world. And we just thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.